All right, welcome back everybody. And today I'm very happy to have guest Juliana Ray here to discuss uh, how unified mindfulness um, deals with some of the, the, the thorniest, most difficult and obscure issues in contemplative uh, discourse and, and, and practice. So uh, maybe Juliana, you could say a few words about yourself, who you are, and also about uh, unified mindfulness, what it is, where it came from, what it's for. Sure. Uh, I'm Juliana Ray, and I am the um, co-founder and head trainer at Unified Mindfulness. It's an organization that's devoted to, it's basically an educational platform for this approach, Unified Mindfulness, that was developed by Shenzhen Yang, which is, uh, we're mainly focused, we're the official teacher training for uh, the system. and. The system's intent is to uh, help people understand the principles that unify all uh, approaches to meditation practice. And so, um, you know, our aim is to, uh, we're not a religious organization. We're, we're really interested in uh, how attention training benefits humankind. And so, when people do a lot of attention training, they start to have what are called, you know, altered states. And so uh, we have to clarify what that's all about from our perspective. And that's, uh, that's I think, what we're going to focus on today in our conversation. I'll say that my aim with unified mindfulness is to make it approachable to everybody um, and to make sure that it's uh, inclusive, that uh, um, anybody who wants to learn how to improve their attention for their well being uh, has an easy way to do that. And so I really place a lot of emphasis on, you know, speaking clearly and as plainly as possible. So it'll be interesting to, you know, navigate this subtle, tricky territory and see how, we, how well we do at. Uh, um, making it uh, easy for people to wrap their heads around. Great. And I think one of the one of the ways that in the teacher training program anyway, that was very uh, helpful is to always refer back to uh, one's one's own experience um, in insofar as it's helpful. So I, I know that for for you and for me as well, the, the beginning of training one's attention, it was it was not for me some kind of like, uh, I don't know. It was, it was rooted in uh, a real desire to practically help with uh, my own suffering, my uh, being stuck, trapped in uh, rumination, uh, worry for the future, uh, dislike of the present, um, and just you know a lot of a lot of difficulty. Um, mm -hmm. So while what we're going to talk about today might seem a little unmoored from uh, ordinary concerns, I for for me and I. I I know for you, Juliana, maybe you'll be willing to share some that's not at all where uh, it started and it's still connected to um, the, the everyday and the ordinary. Yes, I, I certainly had no interest uh, in uh, states of consciousness when I was uh, first learning to meditate. I really just wanted to ease my suffering as you did and um, felt quite desperate and was very skeptical. So uh, but, you know, I think that hopefully we can help people connect the dots and start to see the relationship 
between what we call transcendence and these wonderful outcomes that we can get from uh, a meditation practice. So maybe we can draw that link a little more clearly today. Yeah. Great. So let's start out with the, the word that you already brought up, transcendence. What, what does that mean? It, you know, in various religious traditions in, in English, transcendence might mean one of any number of things. In, in unified mindfulness, practice is organized, attention training is organized into certain categories and transcending in a certain sense, one's sensory experience of a self and a world is part of that. Uh, but, but what more concretely does that mean? Yeah, well, and there are two ways to look at that. So there's a kind of a grid we have that will sort of emphasize themes that tend to come up as you um, experience more transcendent states. Uh, and so there's like a quadrant that's devoted to the themes that the sensory themes, in other words, the experiences that you start to have more commonly when you experience transcendence. But then there's also well, what do we mean when we say transcendence? And uh, the way we would frame that is that when you develop your attention skills, we, we say that any meditation practice you do, and in fact, um, even if you don't do a meditation practice, we can identify these attention skills. And we can say that when your attention skills are higher, then um, you're kind of on the moving towards uh, um, transcendence. And that can happen spontaneously. It can happen because you train. What we can say is that if you know how to train your attention and you do it consistently, then you're increasing the likelihood that you'll have transcendent experience. And what tends to happen is um, as you train your ability to pay attention to your experience, in particular ways. So as you develop the ability to pay attention to what you choose, which we call concentration, as you develop what we call sensory clarity, which is the ability to track and explore your experience in real time. In other words, making discoveries about what's actually going on in your experience, um, as opposed to just taking it at face value. Um, and then when we, uh, when we develop this skill that we call equanimity, which we could say is kind of at the heart of it all, which is the ability to allow your experience to come and go freely without uh, fighting with it, without interfering with it, without getting caught in it. So we can say that these three skills, concentration, clarity, equanimity, operate together. And when they're operating at a higher level, then our experience uh, transforms, not because, um, not because, in a sense, not because there's something special about it, uh, but because you're actually removing what gets in the way. We, we've kind of built up, you could say like a plaque. Uh, we've built up interferences in our sensory system flowing effortlessly. And when our skills are heightened, our, the effortlessness of our sensory system becomes apparent. It's, we get to taste what that's like. And that's another way to say transcendence. So there's, there's lots of ways to describe transcendence, but generally, uh, just to kind of summarize, um, by training our attention in certain ways, uh, all of this can happen spontaneously as well. These skills can be temporarily spontaneously elevated for a variety of reasons, sometimes seemingly completely out of the blue. Um, mm -hmm. And 
moving along a kind of a spectrum of deepening of, of those skills on the farther ends, uh, it is more likely that you are going to experience altered states of, of, of perception in which the ordinary structuring of your experience uh, becomes more fluid, becomes more effortless, uh, and starts to, to generally just feel better in ways that we can, we can disambiguate. And a big part of that is um, spontaneity, or what in UM is called uh, auto. Uh, I don't know, maybe you could say a little bit more about that. Yeah, so, um, well, so we I talked about non-interference or I talked about, you know, um, reducing sensory friction is another way to think about it, uh, that this skill equanimity is a way to talk about um, what starts to happen when you remove what gets in the way of your senses um, moving freely. And another way to, so, you know, part of the challenge is how do we put this into words? How do we, how do we describe this? And I think the challenge in general for people when they hear transcendence being talked about is we use words that reflect a perspective on transcendence, but transcendence goes beyond any particular perspective. So what you're left with is you have to understand that fundamentally. You have to understand like everybody's just using words and words can't do it justice, but we need to use words because we have to be able to talk about this common human experience. And it's part of our uh, kind of, you could say it's part of our birthright to, to begin to um, uh, get all the junk out of the way and, and start to experience the, the free flow of energy in your sensory system. Like you, you did once upon a time when you were young. Um, so, you know, um, if you think about what's fascinating about watching a baby move around, there's an utter unselfconsciousness about a baby. Uh, uh, and you can, it's, it's like, you see, you can almost see the puppeteer, you know, it's like, the baby's just being moved by the, you know, by what? Not, you know, they don't take ownership. They don't say, I'm the one directing the show here. And we're fascinated by that. We love watching babies, uh, the, the spontaneity in their movements. So spontaneity is a way, it's a term, it's yet another term to talk about. And, and we use spontaneity, especially in unified mindfulness, to talk about expression. So um, I, a baby is a good example because we're watching, we're witnessing the kind of automatic movements of the baby that just sort of happen. Uh, and we're drawn in because there is that effortlessness about it. And so we as adults, knowing what we know, um, we can develop a relationship to a more spontaneous way of moving and a more spontaneous way of thinking and expressing ourselves through our voice. Um, so that's, there are these aspects of, you know, there's the side of, we can, there are lots of ways to cut up the pie as we talk about it. Remember, transcendence is transcendence. It goes beyond it all. But as we talk about it, one way to cut up the pie is to say, well, we have this expression and then we have this perception. And perception is, well, what's the, What's the sensory input that we're getting and how, how are we um, you know, relating to that sensory input? And then there's what's our sensory output? What are we doing in the world? And that's where we tend to use this word spontaneity just to have a word to talk about the effortlessness in expression. So there's the effortlessness in perception 
which we tend to talk about as uh, um, absolute activity, which we'll get to. And then there's the effortlessness in uh, expression, which we tend to talk about as spontaneity. And of course, at the root of it all, mm, transcendence goes beyond all those distinctions. So uh, is that answer your question? <laughs> Yeah. and raise about 50 more uh -huh. yeah 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 uh definitely no no complication uh there um yeah so we're i mean the, the classic phrase from the zen tradition is pointing pointing at the moon uh and we don't want to get hung up on the hand or the, the fingers doing the pointing so this refers not to an image uh in in the mind not to even any particular experience but uh a a transformed mode of experiencing. And even that doesn't quite do, do it justice. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a reduction. Mainly it's a reduction of friction in your sensory system is kind of an easy way to think about it. It's, in other words, it's like if you're, imagine that your sensory system is like a mechanical system and imagine that, you know, when a mechanical system isn't well oiled, the wheels grind against each other and uh, they, um, you know, it, it, the energy output then isn't as efficient and uh, the, the car breaks down or what have you, um, the mechanical system breaks down. Uh, similarly, our sensory system, we have little ways that we relate to our experience out of habit and because we were never trained in any other way um, that build up over time and create these micro resistances in our sensory system, not just when we think of resistance, we tend to think I'm resisting something like me, the person. But another way to think about it is, well, no, the sensory system is a system and these resistances happen within the system. But we can do something about it if we understand that these, these are coming up. We, we have this antidote that has to do with how we leverage our attention, how we pay attention. And that's what an, another way to think about what meditation is. Yeah. Another uh, word that I've seen a lot of people take to is a kind of a freedom from fixation. Uh, so our ordinary mode of experiencing because of conditioning, because of uh, various events and, and triggers and stresses, uh, we become quite fixated, uh, contracted. It's another word people resonate with um, into a sense of rigid, rigid identity and uh, limited, limited action. Yes, there are natural stops that occur in our sensory processing. In other words, um, if you think about a sound wave, if you're listening to a sound, you're, you're not listening. You might, it might sound continuous. You hear a plane overhead. It might sound continuous, but the way you're taking in that information um, it, and sound itself is a pulse. And that means that there are natural micro pauses in your experience, which is different from getting caught. Uh, and uh, fixation is a way to say, we get caught on this and that. Our sensory system doesn't operate smoothly. Part of operating smoothly means these, coming to these moments of coming to rest of sensory information, but that's different than getting stuck. We're not operating as smoothly as we can. So. And I think that's a good transition to move on to what's probably going to take up the whole rest of our time together today is this uh, concept of the absolute. And to start with, maybe we could contrast uh, an aspect of the absolute, which is absolute rest with relative rest. 
So you've, you've just given a brief intro to rest, how if you could explain relative rest and contrast it with absolute rest. Yeah, uh, well, actually, um, I, would, I wouldn't start there um, because I think that's gonna be confusing for the following reason. I would contrast absolute rest with relative activity and rest. In other words, um, uh, um, uh, absolute and relative are contrastive. Uh, and um, relative rest is really just a little less activity than activity. <laughs> so, so let's take it from a different angle. Um, let's say that uh, you reach a certain point where your skills are high enough, concentration, clarity, equanimity are high enough that you're experiencing what we call transcendence. Um, and there's a, you, there's like a continuum leading up to what we could say, or there's a continuum of experiences that are sort of like on the way to this thing we can call a transcendent state, right? Um, and you can get tastes of it. For instance, you can get like deeply pleasant flows of energy in your body and you can get a sense of, um, I, you know, even like out of body experiences, I was looking down on my body. Um, so your, your sensory system is kind of, um, you know, clearly pointing in the direction of transcendence. We could say that that sort of reaches critical mass or something happens that it gets to, and whether this happens spontaneously or whether it happens out of the momentum of your practice or what have you, the rhythm of this is, is natural, it's organic, it's not really predictable. We can set up the conditions where it happens more often, but, um, and then we can get to a point where it happens so much that it can't not happen, right? But um, that's a natural process. Uh, so um, let's suppose that you are experiencing a transcendent state. So a temporary state in which you've maxed out your sensory system's ability to uh, you know, be free flowing and you're clearly aware of it at the surface of your awareness. And that's kind of one of the defining features of a transcendent state is at the very, like what you ordinarily perceive gets replaced uh, right at the surface of your ordinary mind. So, uh, and what it gets replaced with is, uh, you could say there are sort of two possibilities um, and we, we call these absolute rest and absolute now, just to have names for them. One possibility is you have a, generalized sense of oneness. In other words, by generalized, I mean all your senses, there's not even any separation between what you see, hear, feel. You can detect distinctions. You can say, I understand what see is, what hear is, what feel is, but what's primarily what you're registering in your ordinary awareness is what we could call oneness. In other words, there's no separateness that's the primary uh, awareness that you have. And then the secondary awareness is the ability to make distinctions. And so you can walk around in the world 
you know that you're not going to bump into something. It's just that you don't perceive yourself anymore as being separate from that thing that you might bump into. So your perception is registering primarily non-separateness, no matter what. And it's, it, it's kind of, it's generalized. In other words, it's everything is non-separate. Um, so we can say that that's, uh, we'll, we'll call that absolute now, just to have a name for that. And we can say that another way that you might discover transcendence at the level we're talking about is that you might get to a point where you perceive absolutely nothing, no light, no nothing, no body. So what is it like to have no sense of being in a body even, no light, no nothing? People can have a perceptual state without being on any kind of drug um, that in which that is clearly what's happening at the very surface of their ordinary mind. Their ordinary experience is replaced by there's no body, there's no world, there's nothing to see, not even light. So we can say that that is a way to understand absolute rest. It gets trickier though. So we've got these two words that I just kind of described. There's the, everything goes away. There's nothingness, uh, nothingness, no form. That's absolute rest. Then we can say everything is non-separate and unfixated, right? There's no stuckness. There's no separateness. We can say that's absolute now. But then there's this interesting relationship between what we're calling absolute rest and what we're calling absolute now. Because of course, it's not a relationship. <laughs> um, they are one and the same because transcendence includes everything. So, but we have, to, we have to have a way for people to be able to say, hey, I had this experience, help me understand it. That is the only reason that we go through the trouble of trying to disambiguate this stuff because we want to help people free themselves and because of the relief it brings, um, because it helps them contact their goodness, their sense of love and connection. So the aim here, here is to help people understand what's happening so that they can integrate so these experiences. So I described there, I mentioned there's this relationship between absolute rest and absolute now. The relationship is that they are one and the same and that really a way to a way to think about it at least the way we're framing it unified mindfulness we're saying really it all starts with absolute rest so when you're experiencing absolute now when you're experiencing oneness what you're experiencing is a particular reflection of absolute rest that's basically and the reflection of absolute rest is form that uh, nothingness as form, right? So there's nothingness uh, that's formless, and then there's nothingness as form. It's still nothingness, uh, but it's, um, you know, your eyes are open, you can interact with people, you can communicate, right? So, um, and for some people, for masters, this is a, like a default state, 
um, nothingness as form, nothingness as formless. There's no distinction. There doesn't need to be any distinction to a master. That's that's sort of that they have gotten to a point where they're. Um, you could say the way we would frame it at UM, their base level of these skills, concentration, clarity, equanimity, has reached a trait level. So it's like these aren't just states that you drop into because your equanimity, you know, concentration, clarity get high and then they drop back down to your ordinary state, right? They that master has gotten to a point where there's a tipping point and the they're rooted in that high enough level of CCNE that uh, perception doesn't alter, it uh, doesn't uh, fluctuate the way it does for, you know, mere mortals like us. <laughs> so uh, re recapping and making sure we're on the same page that I've understood and maybe it'll clarify for the audience at, uh, as well. Um, in uh, a state, um, or if you're a master, this is just, this is trait level. This is how you experience the world all of the time, regardless of circumstance. Uh, in a state experience uh, with your CCNE, concentration, sensor clarity, and equanimity maxed out um, of uh, absolute now, um, absolute activity, um, while there might be distinctions and discriminations that the mind can make to orient and properly navigate, you know, your sensory system is still taking care of business. The, primary thing, which is salient in perception, is this non-separation, uh, this, this oneness, and also uh, insubstantiality or kind of nothing, nothingness quality. Uh, and there's also an element of, of spontaneity, of just happeningness. So all of that at once. And uh, Or you could say, uh, depending on how you, so your mind is going to try to make sense of it. Your mind is going to try to um, reify it is the fancy term for it, but basically your mind is going to try to like put it all together into something that will, you know, help you protect yourself from predators, basically. Um, so, because that's what, you know, that's what uh, our defenses do. Our defenses kind of try to piece things together. So I'm separate, you're separate. So, you know, part of that process is I have this transcendent experience now I have to get separate again because I have to protect myself from prey. So it's going to start to try to um, make a thing out of the transcendence. And that's natural. That's fine. It's not a problem. But we have to understand that's just what the mind is doing. And one person's mind may make it a thing this way. And another person's mind may make it a thing that way. And they're talking about the same transcendence, but they're just there, one mind is reflecting it this way, one mind is reflecting it this way. It's ridiculous to get into a debate about it, but people often do because they don't understand that's, what hap that's what's happening. So I, I did want to make one caveat too, and then I know you have to still summarize more, but um, the other thing I wanted to say is, I don't know, you know, to the extent to which a master, I, I, I don't know what being rooted in it, like just how far that goes on the, you know, uh, um, I do believe we're all a work in progress as long as we're human. Uh, so I think there's always work to be done in general. Um, that's part of the human journey. But I guess what I would say is, I, to me, it's very clear that someone at a mastery level, we can say that at least they're like 
much more consistent than uh, uh, you know an, an ordinary person, more, much more consistently rooted in than than uh, you know ordinary levels of CCNE. I should say they they have like a a base level that is so high that you know. But anyway, just wanted to make that caveat. A, a, a useful one. Uh, and if you're taking this practice yourself and you you get into this territory, it doesn't do much good to go, well, is it is it 50%? Is it 51%? What about is it 60 or 60? It it doesn't, that doesn't help. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so another aspect of it that you uh you you laid out is that at a certain point, the absolute rest, this this total formlessness without a sense of body or defined space or location or or anything or anything 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 uh the rest is really really is absolute at a certain point that ceases to be distinguished uh or preferenced uh between that and uh the the thousand somethings the the regular everyday ordinary uh business of the world not only is it not preferenced you see that the ten thousand somethings are manifestations of it of of rest so there's no not there's nothing you know the 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 nothingness of the ten thousand somethings is you know the 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 rest pervading the 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 non interference pervading all your experience and that's so therefore process. yeah you can't say they're separate because so what is the what is the nothingness of sense of uh, the 10,000 somethings made up of nothingness is nothingness. How can you say, right? So, yeah. Uh, and it's a perceptual thing. So it can be, and, a and an expression thing. Um, in other words, um, by what I mean by perceptual thing, it's ordinary surface level of awareness. There is not the sense of separateness. Um, as you look around, as you interact with your world, um, and ordinary surface awareness, uh, there's not the sense of that I'm the one running this show. There's not the sense of being the puppeteer um, of the, you know, animations of the body and the vocal cords and whatever else. Uh, so it's, it's really being in crystal clear contact, surface of awareness, that all of it, all of it is... Uh, uh, absolute. Great, great. I think I think we've made this about as approachable uh, as it can be. But maybe to go a little a little bit further, um, some of what uh, we've talked about that it, it might sound you know to that part of ourselves that is trying to uh, maintain you know homeostasis, keep keep the organism alive. Some of what uh, we're talking about can seem. Uh, on a visceral level, if you have this kind of experience, but also just even hearing about it, it might seem a little spooky. Like you, you lose the sense of control over your body and your vocal cords, and you, you don't feel distinguished from the wall in front. What? I'm sorry, no. <laughs> I know. It sounds like a good time, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> so yes, and, and that's natural. I mean, again, um, you know, we're very well defended. That's that's what it took to get us here. You know, I think our, our ancestors survived and we survived through our ability to um, effectively avoid prey and, or conquer, you know, whatever it is. So um, we have sophisticated 
defense mechanisms that are really useful uh, and until they're not, until they prevent us from accessing uh, for instance, the deep wonder, gratitude, love that can be an endless wellspring when uh, when you do this work consistently. So mm, what has happened for many of us, most of us really on this planet is that, yeah, it's useful to preserve yourself. You must, it's, there's a utility to it. And we have, instead of just treating it as a utility, we've given it way too much meaning and importance and weight. And we've allowed the stories that come from our defenses, our fears, our, and what are our fears? What's fear really all about? It's about making sure that you don't get eaten, which is good. You don't want to get eaten. You're here on this planet. Let's try to hang out. You know, let's try to care for this body uh, while we're here. But, um, you know, boy, we're really good at building stories, human beings. Uh, um, and ultimately, a lot of those stories are just fear-based. They're just, they're just reinforcing the fear of getting eaten, um, essentially. <laughs> uh, and that's not the best use of our time. So ironically, here we are protecting ourselves to make sure we stick around on this planet. And our, so much of our time is being waylaid into these stories about how we're about to get destroyed. And who wants to live like that? At, at what point does that quality of life start to, you know? So uh, I think um, uh, what can happen is there's this argument or there's this conflict that goes on, especially as we start to get some momentum with this practice and we start to have these deep experiences, they encounter our surface defenses. Uh, the part of us that says, no, 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 I can't lose control. Something bad will happen. Comes into contact with, well, guess what? You never were in control. So, you know, and, and you know that at the very surface of your awareness now. So what are you going to do about it? And uh, oftentimes the, the answer is, I'm going to pretend this never happened, or I'm going to shut that down because that's dangerous, right? So we have to integrate transcendent experience and integration is key. Otherwise we're not getting the value from it. We're, we're just going into these deep states and then coming out of these deep states and the defenses are kicking back in and we're, we're just in this tug of war. So we have to learn how to live through the discomfort of that loss of control, that perceived loss of control. Let's be clear, you never had control. It's just that now you're clearly aware <laughs> of, of what you didn't realize before. So, you know, let's be clear about that. It's not that you're actually losing control, you're gaining a sense of freedom because you can participate fully in experience because you see what's really going on closely through your direct experience. So uh, really, I would say 
the journey is so you you develop these skills you start to experience these states as a result of heightened skills in order to keep those skills going higher and get to that point where there's that tipping point and you're just much more uh, in transcendence as an ordinary way of being. In other words, your sensory system is much more free flowing with all the goodies that come with that. Um, you have to, along the way, help you know, bring your defensive mind along for the ride encourage, reassure, do, you know, talk to it, do what you need to do to encourage the part of you that's just trying to preserve you, that's just trying to protect you. Give, give that, you know, uh, have a conversation, you know, uh, I mean that like literally you can, but also just uh, recognize if you just know, oh, that's what's going on. My defenses are kicking in and, but it's safe, it's okay. Uh, and they're building elaborate stories and, you know, how, how can I kind of break down those stories so I don't get too caught in them, so I don't get fixated. So that's the journey. The journey is this integration process. And that, that integration process uh, isn't really complete without this uh, piece in the happiness grid, which is something that UM uh, uh, has. And it's, it's just uh, like all of this is just, you know, useful tools. Hopefully, hopefully exactly. they're helpful. Yeah. Um, which is broken up into columns, but one of those columns is, is connection. Uh, so through through these transcendent experiences, it's not just you alone on your cushion doing your your isolated practice. And maybe yes. you can speak a bit how integration informs connection. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, well, first of all, if you consider that our defenses, the purpose of them is to self preserve, right? So how do how do they do that? In part by orienting ourselves, us as separate. In other words, where am I in the environment as opposed to that car, right? Because if that car is driving close to me, I need to know, I need to get out of the way to protect myself. Um, but this habit of really um, reinforcing, I'm separate, I'm separate, I'm separate, also carries over, as I mentioned, into our stories, including the story of our relationship with other people. And of course, our social relationships, we're social creatures, human beings. So our social relationships, especially in our, when we're developing early on, they're a matter of life and death. If, if, we, if we don't fit in, we run the risk of being excluded and the repercussions from that, the danger of that. Uh, what that means for, for the, your self-preservation, your survival. So there's a lot at stake in our social relationships on the level of our defenses, which we don't tend to think about. We, we tend to kind of operate more on a surface awareness where we're just thinking about like, I get along with you, I don't get along with you, you know? Um, but if you really look deeply, what is that rooted in? It's there's, you know, Am I safe or am I in danger in this social relationship? So one of the beauties of this training is that as you feel more connected, as you don't not just feel more connected, but at the surface of your awareness, discover yourself as connected and couldn't be any other way at the heart of it. it has to be this way. That really transforms your uh, ability to 
experience connection that is both relational, like your connection with other people opens up because you realize, oh, I'm literally not separate. Now we may have separate ideas, separate beliefs. Okay, no problem. But, you know, below that, below that, below that, we all have a sensory system, for instance, right? See, hear, feel. We all have some some sensory activity that goes on in our system um, or some sensory rest that goes on in our system where we're not getting sensory data from uh, those ingredients, see, hear, feel, those categories. So, you know, at a basic level, we, we share that we all have a sensory system. And even before that, we can say when our sensory system is operating smoothly, there's nothing interfering. We share an ability to be perceptually one, that we know ourselves as one at the surface of awareness. So we know that our actions are not separate from others, for instance, right? That's a very different way of knowing ourselves than, than the defenses will have us know ourselves as. And the defenses, like I said, serve a really useful purpose, but it's utility. It doesn't have to be the main course. So we start to know ourselves as oneness, as nothingness too, which is like, whoa, wait a minute, nothingness? Um, the, the defenses don't like that, right? If the whole point of it is self-preservation and you're telling me I'm nothing, wait a minute. So there has to be this negotiation process where our habits of defending ourselves start to understand, oh, it's safe. This is a safe kind of nothingness. This is a safe oneness. It's not the kind of oneness that puts you in danger of, you know, uh, someone trampling all over you. This is the kind of oneness that helps you be in contact with connection, no matter how that relationship is going, that you have a source of connection that goes beyond that relationship and that can also affect, positively affect that relationship. And so, you know, we tend to think of transcendence as this kind of non-humanness and it is from a certain perspective, but what is the ultimate purpose of it um, if not to connect more deeply and help people through, you know, through our struggles on this planet, uh, you know, help alleviate people's suffering and help other people feel more connected and help ourselves feel more connected. So it's important to understand that these transcendent states don't happen in a vacuum. They aren't just a kind of form of sensory entertainment because they can ex be experienced that way sometimes, um, but that they really are serving to clear out the sensory system of what gets in the way of the free flow of energy, which is just another way to say deep connection. And that that deep connection um, that is like at the trait level that we are connected at a trait level, we're not actually separate. To know that clearly then translates into our connection with other people. And people experience it too. When you go into a room and someone is pissed off and they're caught in their anger, that ah, I shouldn't have done, ah, why did they, right? You, you walk in and there's a cloud and you feel it because we're social creatures. You feel 
the energy in the room. This person is angry. That's not like woo woo stuff. That's just, you know, um, emotional intelligence. We pick up on that and it affects us because we're resonance machines. That's because we're social creatures. So similarly, you could say that when somebody is that rooted in connection, it goes beyond just an emotional state. It goes to an energetic state in the sense that it, or it goes to an energetic way of being that there's non-interference in the sensory system. There's a free flow of energy. And that actually, you know, we talk about, oh, they have good vibes or whatever. We, we try to put words to it, but actually dig a little deeper. And there's, we, we can say that when you come into contact with somebody who has done the work and or spontaneously has, uh, you know, their, their skills have reached critical mass and there's, you know, drastically reduced sensory friction in their system that conveys the same way that if they were pissed off, that would convey. Um, and what it conveys is connection. It conveys, and, and what we tend to recognize that as, as human beings, is love. So um, you get to experience more loving, become more loving, help other people, contact loving more clearly, fully, as your practice progresses, as your uh, training deepens. And whether that turns into, gee, I want to help people learn how to do this for themselves more directly, or whether it turns into you just affect people by, by your presence or, you know, more modest things too. <laughs> you just help out the way you can or you know, you, um, your relationships are more enjoyable because you're not as caught in the things that the stories that you have gotten caught in, in the past. So it has an effect at all scales, at all levels of, um, uh, connection. Thanks. That was the, exactly, exactly what I, I, I was hoping something like that was exactly what I was hoping you were saying that these these transcendent experiences of the absolute to just put put a word, put a sticker on it. Um, yeah. They they come back in the end to to love, to connection, to uh, a, a force for good uh, for oneself, for those around. Must be a force for good, a force for freedom. You know, um, when you disappear all the way at the surface of your awareness, lose that sense of I'm in a body, I'm in a world. When that really goes away, um, there's no freedom like that. And so then what, what is your sensory system discovering in that? Your sensory system is discovering freedom. And so then what is your sensory system conveying? Your sensory system is conveying conscious freedom. And other people's sensory systems register that whether their ordinary mind picks up on it or not, whether they have a word for it or not, a sticker. <laughs> um, we are social creatures and what happens in our sensory system can convey positively to those around us. And um, that's kind of the best, best we can offer as human beings is to 
spread greater care and you know inner freedom um, into the world so that maybe we can have a kinder and more caring society and kinder and more caring relationship to the physical world. And goodness knows uh, we need it. If anything, these last few years have shown us just how deeply connected and dependent on each other we are for our health, for our, the functioning of our economies, uh, in our political systems, in our families. It's all it's all of a piece. Uh, and each every, every, everything is you know important. Every every layer of that connected structure. A hundred percent. And I want to point out too that this does not negate the value of making distinctions and saying that person's beliefs, for instance, cause harm, right? We have to be able to see, um, we, we have to be able to make those kinds of distinctions as a part of the process of changing, of improving the world. But if we make those distinctions from a position of fixation, that's when we get into trouble. If we are so caught in our emotional state, for instance, our anger, if we're so caught in that anger that we're dragging that around with us everywhere, that it affects the, you know, the way we relate to people, then at a certain point, you have to think about the diminishing returns of, your, of holding your position. You have to get to a point where you can hold all positions light enough to let the light out, to let it in and let it out, and to, you know, to shift your priorities that make it more important to love and to trust that from love, from connection, you can also effectively problem solve. You don't lose the utility of these resources of the intellect that we have, of the defenses that we have. You don't lose that utility. You just put it in its proper perspective and it, it becomes in the service of the greater good more so because you're more balanced in your perspective and you know that because internally you're walking around in a healthier, more positive state. It's okay to give up your misery um, in the service of people's betterment and the world's betterment. You know, it's, it's also okay to feel miserable. That's, that can be a very good thing um, until it isn't. So it's, it's really about, uh, um, you know, had a great, uh, I, I trained for a while with Nori Takeroshi, who's a Zen master. Uh, and one of my favorite exchanges with him, I was talking about feeling worthless. And uh, he said, um, it's good to feel worthless. And <laughs> I thought, gee, maybe he didn't really understand me <laughs> because I feel like this is interfering with, uh, with my ability to, uh, you know, be fully in the world. And maybe I didn't quite convey that. So went back in and I, I through a translator, kind of shared that, that perspective. And he, you know, ah, he said, it's good to feel worthless. Just don't let it get you down. And, and, and uh, that's kind of like a, a bit of a challenge, a bit of a con. And how, how do you manage that with CC&E? Exactly so. It's good to feel worthless. Just don't let it get you down. Well, and if you get to the point where you are not so identified with this limited body and mind, then this limited body and mind 
can be feeling worthless, but it doesn't cause you to suffer. And it's hard to fathom that. It's hard to fathom how they can coexist comfortably like that. You have to experience it firsthand. But when you do experience it firsthand, boy, does that transform your relationship even to worthlessness. Then you see, oh, you know, there is some value, for instance, humility. If you don't have humility, you can't grow. Uh, you, you're impenetrable if you don't have humility. So worthlessness at its seed root, you know, we can see that it just got uh, overblown. Too many stories built up around I'm worthless and, and this is proof of it. And, I, and this person told me it and then that person told me it. And right. So we, we build up a narrative. We build up, we make a legal case for how worthless we are in our minds. Uh, uh, and I have a great intellect to make that case. Um, so uh, we build up a story, we solidify it. Why? Because we're trying to protect and preserve ourselves because I mean, it's so ironic. So sort of like, yes, worthlessness, yes, must, uh, must build up a solid self around that so I don't get eaten. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a whole thing. But in any case, um, uh, when you soften, when you, when you develop a different relationship to it, when you see the roots of it, I mean, the roots of it is really humbled, being humbled. And let us all be humbled. Um, that's where the growth starts. So, uh, but we have to get to the point where we have a balanced relationship and most of us have an imbalanced relationship. We, we hold on too tight. We get too caught up in our stories around, I feel worthless, for instance. And, and, you know, um, we also don't know how to, um, find just the right, it's like the Goldilocks effect. How do we find just the right relationship to, that's equanimity. How do we find just the right relationship to experiences like that, like feeling worthless, that, uh, um, that are so balanced that we can bring acceptance to it. It's okay. The feeling doesn't even have to go away because we don't self-identify with that worthless person that we see ourselves as it's a kind of a um, paradox but you know what gets us there is the skill of equanimity but that has to oftentimes be coupled with the skill of sensory clarity we have to untangle what is this thing i'm calling worthlessness what's it made of well i guess i feel some shame and i have these thoughts these stories that i'm building around it we have to unpack what's what we're calling worthlessness in this case, that helps us have equanimity with it. So just a little window into how the skills, and we can't do either of that very well, either of those very well, if we aren't able to concentrate, aren't, if we're not able to you know, focus on what we choose. So there's a relationship between all of those and just thought I'd use that as an example. All, all of the skills are, are mutually supportive and, and, and reinforcing, which is a good thing, because if, if they weren't, I mean, it'd be a lot harder. <laughs> exactly so yeah to try to just be you know have equanimity with feeling worthless not so much but if you know that you can unpack it if you can say oh there are sensory ingredients that are causing me to giving me the impression there's this thing called worthlessness right that 
And my mind is doing its job. It's pulling together the thing of worthlessness because it pulls together everything as a thing because that's how it defends me. So defends and protects. So even worthlessness, it's not, it doesn't, um, unfortunately, the mind doesn't sort of make these useful distinctions between what would be helpful to solidify and what's unhelpful to solidify. It just solidifies everything, including this thing we're calling worthlessness. So you have to unpack it to the point where you see through it. Oh, it wasn't really anything. It was just certain emotions coming together combined with certain thoughts. And, you know, caveat, this can be extremely compelling. The habit around this can run very deep. Uh, I don't want to suggest that, for instance, someone who struggles with depression should just unpack their sense of worthlessness and voila, it's fine. I'm not saying that at all. I have in my past struggled with depression. So I know how deep it can go and how profoundly painful it can be. And you do what you need to do to take care of that. You, you intervene in whatever ways make sense for you. Um, but this is one, this can be, for some people, this can be one part of the puzzle that helps them manage really difficult challenges like feelings of worthlessness. And for some people, it can be all they need to untangle the experience because they, for whatever reason, they, they, they don't have, they're not struggling as much with it, or they have some momentum of training or what have you. So just want to put that in context. Definitely. Um, other, other primary and supplementary supports, you know, both just from a common sense, but also official UM recommendation, please don't, you know, uh, use meditation or mindfulness and assume that it will work for every, every problem uh, at, at every, at every point that uh, on, on, it would be nice if it were so, but it just, it just plain isn't. Um, yeah, it's a, you know, um, deeply entrenched patterns, genetics, you know, lots of variables that can come into play around our, this human condition. And, um, you know, I'm a big proponent of a lot of training, mindfulness training, if you are able to do that, but not everybody has the ability to do that, the time. So, you know, and again, even if you do, like you're saying, it doesn't solve all your problems. You may still need supplements or what have you. So got to, take each case as its own situation and uh, be uh, uh, apply self-care in the ways that work best for you. Great. Thanks so much, uh, Juliana. I think we're, we're running up uh, on, on time here. So uh, is there anything further that you, you want to come back to where you didn't get to say? I just want to come back to love as often as possible. It's <laughs> a good, that's a good place to come back to. Good, good, good state of mind. That's the aim. Yeah. And uh, for people who ha have enjoyed this conversation, maybe they want to, to learn some more. Uh, where, where can they find uh, you and where can they find uh, UM? Sure. Uh, unifiedmindfulness.com. And uh, we also have a core training, the Unified Mindfulness core training. I think it's on Amazon. There's a free book they can download to learn all about it, or they can go to the website, unifiedmindfulness.com forward slash core, 
and there's a free video series. Um, the book and the video series also can go together. And that's a great way. So you get this whole introduction um, that gives you everything you need to start your own practice based on the things that I that we talked about. And the aim through all of it is to make it uh, practical and, and accessible. So please use, use the free resources, check out UM, uh, uh, go, go look up Juliana, other, other great resources. And uh, thanks so much everybody for, for listening and watching and uh, I'll leave it to you, Juliana. Maybe you have a, just some last words before I shut off the recording here. Well, it was a real joy, Winston, and you are a joy. Uh, and um, what can I say except I'm grateful, grateful for the opportunity to um, support people on their journey and grateful for the opportunity to know um, more love and connection. That's something that I never would have imagined at an earlier point in my life, I would get the opportunity to live like this. So, yeah. Right. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye-bye.